everything that, that I felt that I lacked. And at that moment, I told myself, I want what they have. And these individuals were cholos. Mm. I felt that I have proved the highest honor yeah. of taking a bullet for the barrio. And, and I remember thinking, my mother's getting to receive a phone call that all three of her children had just been murdered. Brother literally gave his life to save us. And you would think that hearing this, that would be a sign for me to tell myself, you know what, I got to walk away. And I did it. I did the opposite. All that did was create more hatred, more vengeance. I wanted blood. I wanted them to suffer. So I was found guilty of first degree murder and two attempted murders. So they had sentenced me to 33 years to life for the first degree. Mm -hmm and two life sentences for each uh, attempted murder. The only ones that were there to visit me, to send me packages, to send me money, letters, cards, my family. Yo, welcome back to the Rancher Network Podcast. It's your boy Yak. It's your boy T. And we got another one for you guys today. Um, we want to give a really big thank you uh, to one, our, our audience, our, you know, our fans, everybody that's in the comments, you family, know, appreciating family. exactly family, mm -hmm. everyone that's appreciating everybody's uh, stories and testimonies. You know, that love is amazing and keep flowing because that just shows there's people out there that do care and are listening at the end of the day. And we really love that. Um, so share that love. But we have another person who was sharing the love, too, but she did far more than share the love. She refers yeah. somebody that has an amazing story. Um, I want to give a shout out to Evelina for emailing the Reentry Network podcast. Mm -hmm. When she did this, she told us a, a brief little story of her background and then a friend that she uh, she knows that did some time and now is doing such great work. Um, and so with that time, this is an individual that did a total of 26 years or 23 years. At 23, went to prison and did a total, I believe, 33 years. 26. Uh, 26. I apologize. 26. But was sentenced for it was fighting 33 years. Um, now, with that, I want to give a very warm welcome to our boy Silvestre. Thank you Let's so much for being it. here. We can get an applause on there. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, thank you thank for, you for being having here. Thank you. Uh, I, I mean, out of curiosity, how was it when uh, when she referred you to, to be uh, on here? How did you feel? You know, I felt excited. Yeah. You know, anything to just um, send a positive message, you know, to our community, to our to society in general. So happy to be here. I was, was looking forward to it. Great. That's dope. Appreciate it. Just because... Uh, even when they ask me sometimes, do you want to go do this on camera? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. You know, it's mm -hmm. a little, some, it's, it puts you on nerves a little bit, yeah. you know? So, yeah. yeah. But I'm no, glad you're okay. up for it. Let's yeah. do it. You yeah. Know? I'm so, sociable. So I like there it. There we go. Yeah. And what's yeah. really was great too, you were chopping up beforehand. You brought a lot of stuff with you that we can give viewers like an idea of what you experienced and yeah. what you went through as well. Yes. Um, I, I kind of want to briefly start jumping into kind of like the upbringing and how things led to to another, right? Okay. Um, you talked about growing up in West LA, um, but you grew up in a large household at that time too, right? right? Yes, yes. Um, both parents from Mexico uh, came here in the uh, early 60s, uh, worked in the fields. At that time, you know, there was no opportunities. Uh, they didn't know the language, the customs. So the field was the only place where they could get a job. Mm -hmm. uh, they worked hard. They were able to save some money and finally, you know, bring all of us uh, from Mexico um, and uh, to the little house right here by the beach. 
And I remember, you know, early childhood, you know, fond memories of riding my bike, my brothers and I, to the beach in the summer. My sister would make us some of these delicious tuna sandwiches that to this day can't find anywhere. And, uh, you know, killing crabs and, you know, riding our, our uh, uh, ramps on, the, on our dirt bikes, popping wheelies. Um, that, was, that was beautiful. You know, those are good times. Um, but, yeah, we, there was uh, five of us, uh, not including myself. I was the middle child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a, at a young age, I felt different. I felt like an outcast. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that I possessed certain skills that my my siblings had. Mm-hmm. You know, my youngest, you know, because they were the baby, so yeah. they just had privileges. My uh, older brother, you know, he was very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my old, the oldest brother, uh, he was uh, uh, good at, at putting things together. Mm-hmm. You know, he was good looking. He was in shape. Mm-hmm. My oldest sister was very intelligent. I was getting straight A's, and and Sylvester didn't seem to do well at school. He, didn't have no skill. Even when I started school, um, my classmates, they all seemed to be able to read. I couldn't read. I was teased because of my name, because I wore glasses, because I stuttered, uh, because I wore shoes from Canada, because I had a large head and a small body, and I was a sensitive kid, so it yeah. hurt my feelings, and I didn't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. And I bottled it up um, until one day I just said, you know what? I couldn't stand it no more. I just mm-hmm. I blew up like and I started to attack these kids in the second grade, uh, entering a Catholic school. And I remember uh, going home right after I got suspended mm-hmm. and expecting my father to receive me with, with compassion. You know, what, mm-hmm. what happened? Como estas? What mm-hmm. ha- you know, how are you? And it wasn't that. It was just take off his belt and with me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't need that. I need you to understand that I was just hurt. Somebody... Somebody put me down, and I was yeah. a friendly kid. I wanted to be accepted, just like yeah. most mm-hmm. kids. And all that did was just reinforce the thought that maybe something was wrong with me. Maybe I was stupid. Maybe I was worthless, defective, inadequate. Mm-hmm. And it hurt me. And now I began to not only feel rejected by my peers and my classmates, but now I feel rejected by my own father. Wow. You know, and as it is, I already felt that he favored my younger brother. Um, now I'm thinking, he just doesn't love me. So I thought it would be easier just to not love him either. And I began to try to hurt him indirectly. Yeah. And I tried to hurt who he loved the most, which is my little brother. I became uh, abusive to my little brother. I would hit mm-hmm. him. I would tease him. I would take his toys. I would, I would bully him. And I became more defiant, uh, more aggressive, more violent, mm-hmm. more disobedient at home as well as at school. Uh, I went from being uh, being bullied to becoming a bully. Uh, I believe that if I instilled fear in kids that were coming, mm-hmm. they wouldn't tease me. They wouldn't make fun of me. They wouldn't put me down. And what all that did is just uh, make everybody not want to be my friends. Yeah. You know, nobody wanted to, to hang around with me. Nobody picked me to be part of the football team or or yeah. or, 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 or nation ball. Um, the girls would talk to me, I think, because they were just afraid. But I was a loner. And mm-hmm. I was, during that time, I'm trying to find out who Silvestre is. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Silvestre is good? I tried track and field. I tried sports. I, I couldn't succeed in none of them. Mm-hmm. I felt like a loser, like I was mm-hmm. failing. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't until um, about the age of 12. Mm-hmm. We moved 
um, we moved from from that small little house to a larger house after returning back from Mexico, mm-hmm. where we were for about a year. And the reason for that was that my parents were having problems. Yeah. And they separated. Yeah. And they ended up actually kicking me. My mother told me this years ago that they actually also kicked me out of the Catholic school. No way. And that's rare because, you know, you pay tuition. Right. right. But I was just always getting into fights, always um, being suspended, having detention. And knowing that that I just didn't belong there, mm-hmm. you know, um, I felt that I was stupid. And that's horrible to say, but I really felt it. And I was embarrassed to ask for help. I didn't want to be teased further. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think my, my teachers would understand. Yeah. I didn't think my parents would understand. So I kept it all inside. But all that did was just consume me with all these feelings mm-hmm. and no one to talk to about them, uh, not even my own siblings. So at the age of 12, I remember go- going to a carnival in this new city that we moved in, mm-hmm. also in L.A. And I was with my younger brother um, and a cousin. And I remember being at this park in the evening time. And suddenly I see a lot of people just kind of like move. Like if somebody important's coming through and caught my attention. Mm-hmm. So I look and I see a group of people just forming up one by one, dressed up really like, you know, uh, uh, looking sharp, cool, nice shirts, creased. Clean, uh, like clean. A clean. Uh, but the way that they compose themselves with confidence, with strength, yeah. with power, mm-hmm. uh, with courage, everything that, that I felt that I lacked. And at that moment, I told myself, I want what they have. And these individuals were cholos. They were gang members. And I believe that if I possess that, mm-hmm. no one would ever tease me. No one would ever put me down. No one would ever make fun of me and, and hit me or, or take advantage of me. And You um, saw power. I feel I like you saw power. I saw, I saw something that, that um, would, would keep me... Um, uh, safe mm. and protected and that's all I wanted and it helped that my older brothers um, they were started hanging around with cholos already right yeah. so they would bring him over the house and I would be that little little brother right there uh, hiding you know mm-hmm. being right there attention my brother get out of here still the little one mom can you I know? go mom can I go with yeah, the big bro yeah. it's like, nah. because I looked up to them right you know they were they were just my 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 mm-hmm. my, my heroes and they were kicking me out, right? So I said, okay, that's cool. I'm going to hang around with my own friends. And I started making friends at junior high. Mm-hmm. Uh, started smoking weed. Uh, started drinking. Uh, started stealing candy at the liquor store. Mm-hmm. Uh, just doing things to fit in. Uh, started fighting. Mm-hmm. And even though I wasn't officially from the from the neighborhood yet, uh, I, I was doing everything that, that, that gang members do. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were grooming me. You know, the way I dressed, the way I walked, the way I talked my beliefs, and the first thing that I learned is that they didn't care if I couldn't read. They didn't care what my name was. They didn't care if uh, if I stuttered. Mm -hmm. They didn't care if I was poor. All that they cared about is if I was ready to represent and be violent, and that I was because of all the hurt, the shame, Mm -hmm. the, the fear that I felt inside that I was willing to do anything to be accepted and to be 
to be validated. And I noticed that the more violent that I was, yeah. mm-hmm. the more praise I received. And that's the first time that I received any kind of praise. And I accepted it. And it was like a high. I mm-hmm. wanted more. You know, that pat on the back. Right. You got down, you know, dog, you did it. And, oh, man. I, I'm like, yeah. I got the attention from my peers. I got the attention from girls. I got the fear from my enemies. I felt like I was just like for the first time I was somebody, you know? For the, now this praise that you yeah. started feeling around, like this was during like a middle school when you're like 15, uh, just to kind of get a so picture. So this was, yeah, yeah. So this was started like 12, right? I started yeah. at 12, but yeah, of course, you know, it, 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 it was a process. You know, it wasn't, it was about to the maybe uh, 15, um, 16 is when I when I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get jumped in. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of just kind of being just that guy. I mm-hmm. want to be, you know, uh, uh, officially from the, from the barrio. Mm-hmm. And I told him, you know, and, and my brothers had told him, hey, don't jump my little brother in. He warned him. But, you but know. Were your brothers did. part of the hood? Or my no? brothers right. were Question. already from the barrio. So oh, more man. of a reason for okay. me to say, you know what, you know, I want to follow that. I want to, I want to be, but I want to be greater than them because they had a reputation. Right. I uh, wanted I to see. exceed that reputation. So they, I got jumped in, and oh man, I remember they let me have it. You know, my one of my oldest brothers, Tony, he would always, you know, he was the 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 enforcer. He was the aggressive one. He tried to beat sense into me. My other brother, Teodoro, he was more like calm, uh, collected. He would like say, "Oh, look at, think about what you're doing." Uh, um, always, you know, use good judgment. Unfortunately, I didn't listen to none of them. You know, I felt that. I needed to do this. This was for me. So it's interesting that they weren't necessarily the ones you were looking up to. You were looking, which you could have, right? Because they mm-hmm. were already part of the neighborhood, getting into those activities. But you, you seen something where you're like, I need to do it on my own, yes. and I want to build this up for myself. Yes, yeah. I, I got tired of just being referred to uh, uh, the little brother. Right. Uh, you know, I wanted to make a name for my own, and. And, and that's what I began to do. So I began to just, okay, you don't want, you don't want me to be, be with you guys. I'm going to venture on my own. And um, I, I was violent, you know. And, and it wasn't because I was brave. It wasn't because I was down or, or courageous. I was really afraid. And I was full of shame and feeling worthless. But I didn't want people to see that. I wanted to disguise it. Yeah. And I wanted to show them the other side, mm-hmm. uh, the face that I felt that they would accept mm-hmm. and be afraid of. And we used to use, we used the word respect, but it wasn't that they respected me, it was because they feared me. Just like I didn't respect them, I feared them. Mm-hmm. I feared those older guys, you know, mm-hmm. that were that were built, they had mustaches, they had tattoos, they looked intimidating. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to use that. Mm-hmm. And I did. I mastered the art of intimidation. Yeah, I wasn't... A fighter, I couldn't fight, but I would intimidate yeah. people the way I looked at them, the way, my tone, uh, my voice, my stance, and that was power. And power was an addiction, and I wanted more of it. Um, and I just, um, I remember going to the juvenile hall for the first time for writing graffiti, and graffiti for me uh, was another way of, of promoting myself and my neighborhood mm. because I wanted people to know who I was and know who I belonged to 
So they would fear me and the neighborhood that I belonged to. Mm. So I started to tag, and, and I was pretty good at it. I was pretty good at writing, and I got arrested. I remember going to juvenile hall, and the homies would always tell me, when you go to juvenile hall, you don't ask no questions. You take off on all your enemies. And, you know, even oh, wow. though I went there scared, confused, mm-hmm. not knowing what to expect, I didn't show it. I didn't want them to see that. I didn't want them to see the real the real me. Mm-hmm. So I went in there just, you know, um, who's my enemies, found them. Without even saying a word, I took off on them. Oh, wow. And um, they would send you back then to, to Central. They would send you to, like, they called it the box for, like, a day. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have uh, stripped of... of of all your clothes, you would have just your, 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 they weren't even boxers, they were like ball huggers. Uh, and said ball, what? Ball huggers. <laughs> That's what they called yeah. them, you know, just like uh, the briefs. Briefs. Uh, you know, well, I just briefs. <laughs> briefs, okay, okay, okay. Ball huggers. Um, and just with your, with your sheet, you know, and that was it. Uh, but you come out and you feel like, okay, I earned my respect. Now they fear me. But I remember I did, just that month that I did there, uh, coming home, my parents picking me up. The person that went to see me during that time was my mother. Um, she got a ride somehow there. She took the bus. My brothers took her on Sundays. She would go to visit me, you know, and she never scolded me. She never put me down. Um, she just loved me, mm-hmm. you know. So the day that I, I was released, I went home, and who was waiting there? The homies. And they gave me that praise, that, 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 uh, uh, welcome, and they were asking me how was it in there because right, I was the first right. one out of that age group to go to the ah, halls, so I, I felt like I had been ev- elevated to yeah. a different status and, and, and now. That's crazy, and it validates you even more. Yeah. And now you're in your head, you're like, this justifies it why I'm doing yes. it. Right. Yes, yes, right. So I'm there. I'm, I'm I'm sharing the stories that I get, you know. So I'm now. I feel like I've I've I uh, have more more experience now. Mm-hmm. The way I even sit, like the way I cross my legs, my my my. Language has changed. My demeanor has changed. But what really did it that day is that a few hours later, one of the older homies that who never really uh, acknowledged me, wanted mm-hmm. to hang around with me, he gets there and he says, you know what, let's go. Oh, so I'm man. like, what? The older homie wants a kid with me? Yeah. So I remember I threw on my trench coat, my bandana, and that's the first time that I actually started to carry a weapon. Mm-hmm. It was an axe. I got this axe, I put it in my trench coat, and we rode. And... Now I felt like I had to even prove myself to him because right, he was like one of the main guys and, mm-hmm. and he was already you know, packing and doing all these things. And so I wanted to be with him. And from that moment on, um, I started to be violent with, with weapons. Um, and, and of course, um, you know, go to more rival gangs and, and um, promote this, this neighborhood that I belong to. Question: When you grabbed that weapon, were you thinking, "I'm grabbing this weapon for safety," or "I'm grabbing this weapon to have a weapon, just rep and to to show that I have something"? I think it was both, you know, uh, because I knew that now I was going to be uh, with the big boys, you know, and I needed that extra protection. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that by you by being more violent, I would have more people fear me more praise and yeah. and and my reputation will, mm-hmm. will grow so you had the purpose to be more violent yes. you knew that at the end yes. of the day, this is what i'm gonna do yes yes so that, so this was like at 16 right this was already 16 16, 16. you were full-blown yes that's it, it I'm, I'm affiliated now that you know i'm making myself known 
I want everybody to know who I am. I want them to fear me. I want the girls to, to love me. Uh, I want the homies to respect me. Um, yes. And, and uh, a few months later, I remember um, picked up a weapon. And that was um, different, you know. Like so now gun, I right? went like Once a gun. Once you get a gun, yes. it, it just feels like you're fucking Superman. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it still is a different yeah. mentality. In your um, How did that come about? Like you actually getting the gun? Uh, the homies had it. The homies had it. And I felt, okay, you know what? You know, this is, again, sense of power. Yeah. And I got it. And, man, it felt good. Um, the first time that I shot somebody, um, just the, the fear in him. You know, uh, running for me mm. made me feel even more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at the time that I was creating so much enemies. Um, after that happened, my brother and I looked alike, so they would confuse us. Um, they would think that he was the one. And, of course, they began to really want to to target us, you know, to hunt us. And... It wasn't until, I would say maybe a few months later, uh, after the first time that I got a juvenile hall, that our house was shot at because they they couldn't find us in the street. So they went to um, our house. And I remember waking up to my mother crying. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just a cry. It was a horrible cry of Mm -hmm. sobbing that... I felt that she was dying. And I remember jumping up out of my bed about maybe 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and my brother, too, and going to the kitchen and hearing her right there just terrified and looking in the front and seeing my brother and my dad in the front and hearing gunshots. And I go over there, and I see three individuals outside shooting at her house. And at that moment, uh, my parents decided, you know what? My mom said, I love this house, but I love you guys more. I love my children more. Mm -hmm. So they decided to move. But I felt so connected to my barrio that I said, you know what? My barrio can't function without me. They need me here. I'm not going nowhere. Mm -hmm. So the day that they moved, I remember it was a Friday. I left. I left the house. Um, I came back. Um, That day didn't, you know, had a little blanket, little um, pillow, slept the night. The next day, we went gangbanging. Um, we ended up stabbing somebody. The next day, Sunday, they come back. They retaliate. Same house? Um, not oh. to the house. Now I was in the street. Got you. They, just went, they went looking for they you They went guys. looking for me. They, uh, I was with one of the homies. We were driving, driving uh, a bike, and they came up on us. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw the barrel come out of the car, I knew that they were going to shoot. And I dove down to the ground. And before I even hit the ground, I felt my whole arm get sprayed. And it was a bug shot from a shotgun. Mm. And I felt my whole arm just kind of go numb and burning. Mm-hmm. And I got up and it started running. Uh, but they just sped off. They didn't get off the car. They just sped off. And I remember going to the hospital. I uh, got treated. Mm-hmm. But that night in the hospital, my mom goes to visit me. 
and I'm I'm laying there right there, just angry, upset, pissed, you know, thinking about plotting what am I gonna do to these guys. Yeah. And my mom gets there and she looks down on me, doesn't say a word, mm-hmm. but just her face says it all. Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. I moved out of that house to prevent this from happening. Right. But I was so full of hatred and resentment and and vengeance that I'm over here like I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. I spend the night there. The next day, Monday, my girl went to visit me. We had a good little visit in the morning. But that night, the homies came. I heard them. They're, they're yelling in the hallway. In the hospital. In the yes. hospital, right? But they, oh, come in, they come to visit me in the hospital, my room. Man, this is the most praise and recognition that I've ever received. Mm. I felt like a soldier gone to war, been shot, come back and receive a, be- a medal of honor. Mm. I felt that I have proved the highest honor yeah. of taking a bullet for the barrio and surviving. Mm-hmm. So not only do I feel like powerful, I feel invincible. You know, I've been shot and I survived and now no one could hurt me. Um, so I went, um, the next day my brothers picked me up. My brother tell, My brother tells me, Go to my aunt's. I'll pick you up there. I go to my aunt's. I call the homies. They go pick me up. We go. We get in trouble. We get into a fight with the rival gang. We get arrested. I go to juvenile hall. I don't have no number. I just moved, right, to Mm -hmm. another county. So I'm in juvenile hall again. That Sunday, guess who goes to visit me? Mom's again. My mom. Yeah. Mom is there. Always in it. She's on your team. Sad. Uh, disappointed, but she's there, mm-hmm. loving me, you know, about how, how am I doing? And um, I eventually transfer from uh, LA County uh, to a different county, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do it for my mother, because I saw how much it hurt her once the judge said, you know what, we're gonna release him after two months. Yeah. How she started to cry. What, what, started to cry, why? Because she knew that you were going to come out and do the yes. same shit? No, okay. crying because I was being released. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. She would have hope yeah. to keep you there. At least she knows you're yes. safe there yes. and you're not in the street. But she was happy that I was coming home, right? Mm-hmm. Because she, a part of her did want me to, to start changing. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a shot. This was around May. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. So I got out. I, I I got enrolled to a continuation school. Uh, I got a part-time job. Mm. Still affiliated, still claiming the neighborhood, but wasn't going to the neighborhood. I decided, you know what? I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to uh, not uh, you know, go over there because I know, I know what's going to happen when I go right, over there. Right. So I did that for six months. But one day in December, December 13th, just like an addict who thinks that just because he's been sober for a week or a month or a year that he could take one drink and he'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I thought that I would be okay by one, going one day to the neighborhood. How, how old were you at this time? I was uh, 17. Okay. 17 years old. I go there, you know, dressed up, excited. Man, the hugs, the praise, mm-hmm. the attention, you know, the music, being in the barrio brought back all these feelings, the adrenaline, the power, the acceptance. Yeah. And I just like, I got caught up. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the girls come over, we start partying, we're dancing, a little bit of drinking. I was never a drinker. I was never a smoker. I experimented it, but I, I saw too much people uh, be killed or shot because they were intoxicated and they were in their five senses, and I didn't want to be one of those victims. Damn, so you so, kept the G, like you so kept I, the straight. I, I was trying to be sober, you know, and, and, and ready, prepared. Mm-hmm. And that day, um, I felt that, okay, you know, I, I got... I got excited. I wanted to have sex. I told the homies, you know what? Let's go. Just get these girls. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. I told my brother, hey, give me the gun. Again, because I was really a coward. And the gun made me feel powerful. Yeah. So they were like, still, I'm not going to give you the gun. So I got upset because I was a hot-tempered kid, stubborn. And I left. I walked out of the neighborhood. I walked out of the party. And they came up the car. They said, come on, jump in. We're going to you know, talk to you. And I jump in. And we're driving. And this is something where you couldn't say no, right? Uh, couldn't say no. What do to you mean? To jumping in, like, we're going to talk to you. Uh, yeah, I could have. And I did at first. But they kind of, come on, get in, get in. So I, I got in, and we ended up going down uh, uh, a one-way street in a, in a rival territory who happened to be having a party at that time. And I ride like a knucklehead, you know, give me the gun, let me get out, shoot these guys. And my brother didn't let me, uh, but he did. He got out. Well, he didn't get out, but from the car, uh, same the neighborhood, and shot. But what we didn't realize is that they, too, were packing. They were packing high-caliber weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, all I remember is driving away and turning around and seeing somebody duck, get on their knees, I mean, and point and before I even hit the back seat of the car, you hear gun bullets uh, everywhere in the car around us. And my brother, as good good of a driver he was, he yells out, "I've been shot! I'm, I'm hit!" Sure. And we start hitting other cars. And then I feel a hot, burning sensation on my leg, mm-hmm. and I knew that I know that feeling. So I yell, "I'm I'm hit!" And we crash, and I hear the sounds of footsteps. I hear them saying, we got him, we got him. But I froze, I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, my mother's getting to receive a phone call that all three of her children had just been murdered. So it was all three Damn. of you, all three we brothers all in, in car. one car? Yes. Oh my yes. God, that's a mother's worst nightmare. Yes, exactly. But I, I couldn't move. I, I, I froze. Yeah. Suddenly, I felt the car go in reverse. Um, we picked up, uh, they, they pressed the gas pedal. We were going forward. They kept shooting. And we, when we turned the boulevard, we were going so fast mm-hmm. that on the curb, we flipped over and landed on the other side of the street. And we landed on four tires. I immediately jumped up. My brother, uh, got uh, Tony, got out. Uh, but the other didn't. And as I got closer to him, I saw uh, blood and part of his brains coming out of his head. And I just went into shock. And my brother told me, so get the gun and just get out of here. I, I got the gun. I ran. I must have ran like about a mile. I was jumping these huge fences, walls. I was just, um, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I was running for my life. And it wasn't until I stopped and realized that I had been shot. I felt like water coming down my leg, and I realized, mm-hmm. okay, I've been shot too. But 
remember going to the hospital, getting taken care of about at maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock, and then dreading going home to face my mother. Right. I didn't have the nerve to tell her what just happened. But I ended up walking in there with crutches, and the first person that I saw was my mom. And mothers have this intuition. They know when something is mm-hmm. wrong. She ends up right away yelling, crying, tus hermanos, tus hermanos. I couldn't tell her. I hung my head down. I walked upstairs, and I told my little brother who was awake what happened. And I went to sleep, hoping that when I woke up, it would, all this would have been a nightmare. Um, I woke up at 10 o'clock that morning. And that morning, at that time, that's the time that my brother officially passed away. Uh, the cops apparently came while I was asleep. All my parents, they all went to the hospital. Um, and it wasn't until uh, a day later that I went to see my, my brother in the hospital. He was shot in the back of the head, uh, came out through his mouth, through his jaw, and the other one on the neck, so he couldn't talk. His, his jaw was, was, was uh, shut. But he wrote us and he told us that he, he couldn't see. Once he got shot, he couldn't see. That's why we crashed. But my brother, rest in peace, put him aside, took the steering wheel over, and uh, he drove. And in the process, they shot him in the head. It was a ricochet. So my brother literally gave his life to save us. Mm-hmm. And you would think that hearing this, that would be a sign for me to tell myself, you know what, I got to walk away. Mm-hmm. I got to care for my family who was broken, who was in need. <laughs> and I didn't. I did the opposite. All that did was create more hatred, more mm-hmm. vengeance. I wanted blood. I wanted them to suffer. But it was for two selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. And the first reason was because of, I didn't want to lose my reputation. Mm-hmm. What are they going to say if I don't retaliate? That reputation that I worked so hard that for the first time I felt like I was somebody in this world that people actually liked me and feared me and respected me. I wasn't ready to let go of that. Mm -hmm. And the second reason was because I felt responsible for his death. I felt guilt. Mm -hmm. And I felt that if I retaliated and sought vengeance, that I would be redeemed, that I would feel closure and peace and comfort. And I decided that I'm I'm gonna go on vengeance. I went on a shooting spree for five months, Mm -hmm. shooting all my rivals, anybody that I came across. Um, using people, I started. I didn't start. Started going to school. I started. Stopped going to work. I would call in sick. I would have my my friends call in that I wasn't gonna go. Started being less at the house. But I remember looking down at the casket of my brother when he was being murdered, when he was being buried, and just thinking like, I want blood, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what I went after for. Mm-hmm. Um, I would use girls to come pick me up, to drive me uh, to to LA. And on one day um, in May, I walked up to three individuals, completely innocent people, were were having a good time by themselves. I was I prayed on them. I saw them get to this park with the intention of murdering three of them. And I walked up to them. I pretended that I came looking for weed. 
just to have them, you know, feel comfortable. And when I got close enough to them, I took out my weapon and I shot one, the first one. And I remember him looking at me, like, real peacefully, like, what are you doing? I have done nothing to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't matter. I shot him. And I knew that as soon as he hit the, the floor, I knew he was dead. And I turned the gun, and I shot his brother twice, and I ran after the friend and shot him twice. And I was such a coward that I fled. Um, I knew the cops were looking for me, and I fled the country. Um, I was gone for about two, two and a half years. Um, I came back. I felt, you know what, it's been a long time. Yeah. You know, uh, time has, has, has passed. Um, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I got a job. Um, Out there in school. Mexico? No, I'm back here in the you States now. You're now. back here after yes. two years. Yes. Okay. So when I was in Mexico, you know, that's the first time actually that I actually was away from my family mm-hmm. as, as a teenager. Um, what, what, did, what did mom say, like, that yeah, when you were you going to Mexico, like, oh, all man. that? Um, I didn't even, my brother told her. I didn't even have the guts to tell her either. So you just left? I just left. Nobody. And, you know, of course, you know, they, they're thinking they're protecting me, right? Right. You know, so they're okay with it. After a few months, she goes to visit me. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm starting to see that it's taking its toll on her. She's lost um, a son already. Mm-hmm. Now she's losing a son that's um, away to a different country because now he destroyed another family. Yeah. Our oldest brother got addicted to to rock cocaine at that time mm-hmm. and drinking. Did, real quick, did he end up having any like residual effects from being shot? You said he yes. got shot in the neck. Yes. Nerve, so he, he, he lost his, his earring, his ear from one of his ear. He couldn't mm-hmm. hear, right? Uh, and he be, he his way of coping with uh, our loss was he started being more into drugs. into drugs oh, and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest sister got into more into uh, work and food. Uh, my parents more into their job. They became more workaholics. Mm-hmm. My younger brother uh, isolated himself even more so. And then he started hanging around with the fellas. Oh, mm. no. So everybody was impacted in different ways. Yeah. You know, my little sister, she was just only seven years old. Um, she obviously, you know, was traumatized as well. Uh, but everybody, uh, I remember uh, my grandma, it was so hurtful for her that she couldn't even attend the funeral. It, it just, it, would, it, it was too much. Uh, but we all were coping with it in different ways. I just decided that violence was my, my outlet. Yeah. And being in Mexico, away from everybody, of course I missed my house. I missed opening the refrigerator. I missed, you know, sleeping in my own bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed the city life. But it still didn't really hit me hard. Um, until years later, I came back to the States. Uh, I was doing well. I, you know, uh, I bought my first car. You know, I had a little money in the bank. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Everything you do catches up to you. Yeah. 100%. I still went. 100%. I was still going to the neighborhood. Though I wasn't gang banging, I was still going to the neighborhood with the homies, taking my little nephew, which oh, is my little brother, my brother, rest in peace, his son, taking him mm-hmm. over there. 
And, to, and not to, even to thinking. what, though? Like, to yeah. get active and, and no, get him no, into the game? No, or? just taking him around the neighborhood. Like, right? he was just driving, like, hey, we're going to stop by real quick. Yeah, oh, we would go visit one of the homies, wow. right? But he would see us. He would yeah. see us drinking. Yeah. He would see him cussing. He would see them, you know, uh, getting high. He would see them, you know, dressing like cholos. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize it, but I was already influenced by your yeah. nephew into shaping Correct. him into follow in my footsteps. Um. So it wasn't until 92 December again, right? This month is, is, is very difficult for my family because uh, that's when my brother was murdered. Uh, and then um, that's also when uh, they end up arresting me. So I get arrested. Real, you real know. quick, when you came back, did you have any idea that they were on you? I'm assuming you yes. already knew they were yes, on you. Yes, I did. Okay. I did. I knew there was a warrant for, for my arrest. Okay. Uh, I didn't care. I didn't care. You know, I felt, okay, if they arrest me, you know, I'm going to get out. That's how naive I was. How long did you last out here before they pulled you over? About a year and a half. Out here and now? Yes. With that type of uh, yeah. warrant out? Yeah. This was in, that's, in the 90s, that's though, yes. huh? That's probably yes. nowadays with the fucking cameras yeah, and you get, and phones. It happens yeah, in yeah. a week. Man, yeah. that is no. intense. So you're, at the same time, while you're out in Mexico, too, your family's going through, like you mentioned, these mm -hmm. things are impacting it, but they're also going through doors being broken down probably as well. Yeah, so police are stopping them, um, running uh, background checks, harassing them. You know, um, yes, yes. They, no. they, they were born here or had papers and everything? Because, you no. know, that's another issue for class right. size. That yeah. Parents are undocumented and the kids are fucking up. Mm -hmm. Now exactly. you put them on the spotlight and exactly. they have to, you know. Yes, yes. So I was, I was causing so much problems to them. I was impacting their lives Correct. without even being, being present no more. Swallowed. You know, they were suffering the aftermath of my bad choices and decisions and actions. And I was over there like, like in Acapulco, you know. Mm. I should be in the one that should have been enduring those things. And they were the ones that would have to left and pick up the pieces, you know? So coming back, uh, they were fearful. They weren't in agreement for me being back here. But, like, I was used to doing what I wanted, yeah. you know? I was used to, I was uh, having my way. So when I got arrested, I remember still thinking that I was going to get away with it. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't like that. I got arrested, went to trial. Uh, lasted two weeks. It finished on Friday. On on Monday, the jury came back in with the guilty verdict. So at that time, uh, if you were sentenced to life, you were gonna do life. Mm -hmm. This was the ninety early nineties. There was a lot of violence, a lot of gang violence at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, laws were very severe. Um, so we knew what we were expecting to. So they still decided, being that I was a juvenile at the mm -hmm. time that I committed this oh. crime, I went back to juvenile hall. I went to the whole process. I went to Norwalk reception. Mm -hmm. They found me not suitable, of course, which I expected. Went back to the county. Uh, and in December again, December the 1st, I appeared before the judge. And I remember standing there, right? And you, it's like you see on TV. The jury stands up. We the verdict. Fine. Yeah. You know, so and so guilty of first. As soon as they said guilty, I felt my whole world just started coming up because I knew what that meant. And I remember the only one that was there was my younger brother because he's the only one that I told of that day. I didn't want my mom to be present. I didn't want her to have to hear that sentence. So told her in the sense that, what what, it, what didn't she know about it? 
like you about told how long I was gonna be, how long I was gonna be sentenced. Oh, so uh, they didn't, so they they were they didn't know the system like that. Exactly. Right. Like, hey, yes. my son murdered. Yes. You never. Yes. You never put those pieces in, like attempted no. murder carries life. Yes, you know? exactly. Things like that. Okay, exactly. They didn't had no, no idea what. No, happened. they knew it was severe, Man. but they didn't know exact the actual right. sentence. So I didn't tell them. So my brother was there, but I remember turning around and pretending that I was okay. You know, like I got this, bro. I'm yeah. good. But I wasn't. I was broken. I went back to the county. I got high. I'm not, and like I said, I'm not really a smoker. But I needed to escape. I needed to numb that that pain, that mm-hmm. feeling. And uh, this was December. Um, in February, I ended up uh, going to, no, was it February? I think it was, yeah, February. February, I went to reception. I get to reception, Delano. <laughs> So that's is just like you're prepared. They're preparing you to what prison they're gonna send you right. to. So I go there, and I remember being there. You're now you're in a cell. Mm-hmm. You're either by yourself with someone else. And I remember getting a letter from my older brother, and he tells me, "So I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what advice to give you. I've never been to prison. All I could say to ask yourself is, what brought you there?" And I told myself, "What brought me here?" I started to think about that, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, what brought me here is." feeling that I was worthless. Mm -hmm. What brought me here was wanting to impress other people. What brought me here is wanting to have this reputation that I'm a tough guy. What brought me here is not liking who I really am, being embarrassed of Silvestre. That's what brought me here. So that was the seed that started to be planted. But I knew that prison was a whole different thing, you know, I heard stories, mm-hmm. you know, just off, just you know, you got races now. You either, you know, you were, you were with one. There's no street gangs, so I go in there, and I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm frightened. I'm nervous. Um, Real quick, what was the official verdict that they gave okay. you? Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. I left that out. So the judge, so I was found guilty of first degree murder and two attempted murders. So they had sentenced me to 33 years to life for the first degree mm-hmm. and two life sentences for each uh, attempted murder Holy crap. consecutive. Wow. So my initial board date wasn't going to be into 2029. And that's just like the, the possibility of getting out. Yeah. But for me, that was an eternity. Uh, I remember. Yeah, I mean, it really is just in general, yeah. 20, mm-hmm. 30 years, like, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember. Um, falling into like a depression right after that. Yeah. You know, sleeping more, um, getting high, um, just not having, yeah, to numb it. Yeah. Um, One of the first things I learned in prison was uh, to make pruno, to make this alcohol. And once I got drunk and I listened to my corridos, I escaped. I was in Mexico Mm -hmm. peacefully over there. Mm Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the next day that I woke up that it was reality. I still had three life sentences. I felt that I had lost everything. I felt I had lost my, my family, you know, uh, material things, you know, my car, you know, the money, my job. And it was hard. But I still was so selfish that I wasn't even thinking about what, my, what I put my victims through. Yeah. It was just about me, me. And I was blaming everybody. I was blaming the judge, the mm-hmm. jury, the victims, uh, my father, 
the community, my peers, everybody. I went to reception in February. I got to, to state prison in April. And no letters, no cards. I tried to call the homies, the uh, blocked. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, they didn't answer. So I started thinking, where's everybody at? Where is my barrio where I need them the most? Tough part. I felt abandoned. I felt betrayed. Mm -hmm. I felt deceived. The only ones that were there to visit me, to send me packages, to send me money, letters, cards, my family, my mom, my dad, my sisters, my brothers, my nieces and nephews. I remember the hardest part was my nephews asking me, so why are you here? When are you coming home? I couldn't answer them. I couldn't tell them that I was here because I took a human life. And I couldn't tell them that I could probably never come home. My mother and my grandmother were very faithful in the faith. They would tell me, mijo, pray to God, ask him to get you out one day, believe that he will. And I started to, from that moment on, I would pray every day. <sighs> and there was that little mustard seed of faith that one mm -hmm. day would come out. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know how old I'm going to be, yeah. but I'm going to be out. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I'm going to try to take care of myself. But that, of course, didn't really sink in until about two years later after I was, I got sent to High Desert. High Desert was a new level 180 that just that opened. That was your first prison? That was my first that's 180 a hard prison. prison for somebody that just opened. Going in. So we were constantly on lockdowns. Um, you went in at what level? Like at level four. Level, level four, four right? 180. So the, the location itself is all level four based. Yeah, and then not only that, High Desert is up there in the middle of nowhere Susanville. and it's cold and it's snowing. Snowing. You're just away from everybody. And, and you know what? For the first time, I start feeling really. Uh, uh, separated from my family. Uh, we weren't able to make phone calls because we were locked down. Oh, really? So I couldn't call them to see how they were doing. Uh, I, I wasn't able to write them as often or their letters were, I wasn't receiving them too often. So now I'm worrying about them, right? Like, how are they doing? And then it dawns on me one day, is this how my mother felt when I would leave the house mm, for days wow. or weeks yeah. and not even call her and tell her mom, Estoy bien. Mm -hmm. This is how this yeah. is what I put my mom through. Mm -hmm. Now I'm starting to feel it. I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. This is what my mother endured with all four of us. Yeah. And I start seeing that not only do I feel that my my friends, my my brothers have abandoned me, but I also start feeling like I st or I realize that, wait a minute, isn't that what I did to my family? Mm -hmm. When I chose my barrio, mm -hmm. when I would leave them on holidays or on the weekends mm -hmm. or in the middle of the night and go to with the homies to a party or, or go gangbanging, didn't I do that? Mm -hmm. So I was the one, I was guilty of abandoning and neglecting my family. I betrayed them because they didn't raise me to be to go and, and pick up a gun and shoot people. Mm -hmm. There was domestic violence, yes. There was there was uh, uh, abuse, physical and verbal, yes. But they didn't teach me to be a, a cholo, to pick up a weapon, to shoot people, to uh, drive right. or uh, ride on walls, or to, to steal, to break the law. 
I decided to do that. But you know what the turning point was, gentlemen? It wasn't until I was in high desert, locked down in 97, that I received a letter from my mother. And she tells me that my little nephew, this same little kid, Ernesto, that took the neighborhood, started to dress like cholos. That devastated me. And I started to think, right, I don't want him to follow in my footsteps. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to follow his dad and be murdered. So I sat down and I wrote him a letter, and he wrote me back, right? And I still have this letter, and I want to read it to you guys. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. So this is a letter from you to your nephew. This is a letter that he wrote me back. As a response. As a response to my letter, right? When I told him, Ernie, I don't want you to, to come to prison like me. I don't want you to be murdered like your father. And to kind of touch before, the letter that you received that you received from your mom, all she said was he started dressing like a gangster. Yes. He she never said anything else. That's it. But you already knew from that yes. that day that on. That's I know what that could lead to. And he was ten years old, right? Wow, He's ten years so old. So, so he was young. even younger than I was. Yeah. Right? So this is a letter that he wrote. He he responded to me. Mm-hmm. This wasn't he was ten years old in ninety seven. He tells me, Hi Silvestre, I love you. And I miss you a lot. When are you coming home with us? I am going into school. I am never going to be a cholo again ever in my life. When I grow up, I will try to remember what I what I read, and I hope that you could come home soon. P.S. I do know a little bit of Spanish. Mm. Love Ernesto, because I was always tease him about learning Spanish, you know. Mm. But that really brought a lot of comfort to me hearing that. But I knew that if I was going to begin preaching to him, that I had to practice what I was telling him. So that's when I started to dissociate myself. And I started to say, you know what? I need to better myself in here. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I'm going to make the best of it. Mm -hmm. I started going to school. And I had learned to read in in juvenile hall. But now I started to practice more. Because that's a lot of time you have in yourself to read. And... I went back to school. I started to study for my GED. And you know what? I was surprised because within a year, uh, I, I took my GED and I passed it. And it wasn't that difficult. But I did. I made yeah. an effort to study. I worked hard. That part, I sacrificed. Yeah. Um, and congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. And it was a good feeling. And it motivated me. And it showed me, you know what? You're not stupid. You are capable of learning. You are capable of of, of achieving what you want. You just have to work hard at it mm-hmm. and believe in yourself and ask for help. And I started to, uh, my older sister, Yolanda, beautiful lady, very intelligent, always would encourage me, Sil, you're smart, you, you could go to school, mm-hmm. uh, always emphasizing education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I said, you know what? This is not enough. Education is not enough. I'm going to start going into um, uh, um, self-help groups 
you know, I knew that I had an anger problem. I knew that, you know, domestic violence, you know, was in our home. I started to find out exactly what it was that really brought me to prison. To do that, I had to go back to my childhood. And by attending these groups, right, I started, started to open my mind. I started to mm -hmm. make the connections. Mm -hmm. We would have uh, a group called Victims Awareness where victims mm -hmm. of crimes would come to prison and they would share the impact that crime had on them, of them losing a son to mm -hmm. gang violence or, or being uh, abused by their husbands. And I started to hear to these stories and it, it really it really cut me because I felt what exactly my actions and my behavior had done to another human being. Mm -hmm. I started to place myself in another person's shoes. I started to develop empathy for people. It's a big one. Um, and I didn't know that before. Right. Everything I was just doing, I was inflicting suffering and pain. Mm -hmm. But now that things were happening to me, I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. Another turning point um, was, was my son, who I didn't mention, I brought into this world at the age of 16. And again, I abandoned him and his mother uh, for my gang. Mm -hmm. Now I had an opportunity to, to ask for forgiveness, right? Because now I started to feel remorse. I start feeling guilty now. I start feeling remorse. I start feeling regret. Mm -hmm. All these things that I didn't feel before, I'm mm -hmm. starting to feel them. So now I want to ask for forgiveness to people that I hurt. And my son's grandma was the first one that I wanted to ask for forgiveness. And she tells me, I had a chance to talk on the phone, and she tells me, you know what? I forgive you, and I love you. And I just go, what? After what I've done, you love me? And she goes, I admit, when you first done that to my family, you disgraced us. I hated you. But now I've learned to forgive you and to love you. That really motivated me to also start forgiving other people for their for their wrongs against their wrongs, me. Yeah. Uh, so all this was just like a learning process, you know, uh, going to AVP, mm -hmm. anger. Uh, um, um, man, I forgot what, it, what AVP stands for, man, right now. But it, um, alternatives to uh, to violence project so there's exercises that we do that they're fun they're engaging mm -hmm. but they also help you to recognize your anger mm -hmm. and to develop coping skills mm -hmm. and to find out how you can resolve conflict and attending that attending church programs i started going back to church and for the first time i heard a, a, a homily at church from the priest and I understood it. It spoke to me because now my heart started to be open. I started to slowly get rid of those resentments, that anger, mm -hmm. that rage, uh, that, that vengeance because I started to develop empathy for people. I started mm -hmm. to, to understand their pain, their hurt mm -hmm. and I was more receptive to it, mm -hmm. to change. And I knew that if I wanted to come home and if I wanted God to really forgive me, I had to start forgiving too. All right. You know, even the person that murdered my brother. 
and I learned to do that. And it was hard, uh, but I learned to do it because how could I ask God for forgiveness if I wasn't to forgive either? Right. I kept my victim's family always in my thoughts, always in my prayers, understanding now that they too had suffered, that they too were suffering, just like my mom was suffering, that they too were missing that young Jose in their lives, mm -hmm. that little boy who was only 15 years old, who wasn't even a cholo, who was just there with his big brother. And I robbed him and took away his life, his future, all his dreams and aspirations that he had, I took him in one second. And that wasn't my right to do. I cannot bring him back, but if I can do something to help save other people so they don't have to suffer that, so mothers don't have to lose loved yeah. ones, so mm -hmm. sisters don't have to lose brothers to prison or to, to, to death, I made a vow that I would dedicate the rest of my life to making amends. Um, step nine, you know, um, if you guys are familiar with, with AANA or CGA, you know, it's a, a, making amends to people. Mm -hmm. um, when, when you have the opportunity uh, to do so, and that's, that's what I've, I've, I've uh, been doing. Uh, my brother would go visit me, my, my younger brother, would go visit me, and he's been in this field of restoration mm. and uh, healing circles. So he would tell me about him going to juvenile hall, him going to to um, um, uh, detention centers, him going to schools and talking to the youth, and you know, loving them yeah. and validating them and giving him his attention. Literally, what you're getting, he's giving. Exactly. Exactly, right? So I'm like, bro, I can't wait to do that with you. I want to do that with you. Mm -hmm. But yet, I'm still in prison, right? But I'm realizing also that in prison, there's a lot of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of deception, a lot of betrayal. People that you think are your friends are not your friends. I'm glad you said that because that's yeah. what I wanted to ask. Like, you're, There's this big battles, mental health battle that you're fighting. You're, 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 you're surviving met like mentally. But when it comes to physically surviving, physically, because it's a whole different game in prison, mm -hmm. how are you doing that? When you have so much on your mind, how are you staying safe and, and keeping yourself on top? Uh, what challenges did you have? I Just riots, man. Just, you know, a lot of hatred, uh, stabbing, fighting, um, always being on your guard. You know, it's stressful. It's, uh, it's nerve-wracking. You know, you can't sleep well, you can't eat well, and then you're, you can't even share with other people because you're afraid of what they're gonna think of you. You know, you're a chump, you're weak. And they're probably thinking the same thing, mm -hmm. but we just have to pretend and just kind of go along with it. You're right. You know, out of fear again, right? Um, but I got to see that there is a lot of good people in there, but they too have been traumatized. They too have, have experienced violence, verbal violence, uh, sexual abuse, uh, abandonment, neglect, loss, and we're coming to, we're here now, we made uh, those crucial decisions to resort to violence, and we're here in prison now, and we're trying to survive, but there's choices, and mm -hmm. each one has that choice to make, and 
I decided, you know what? I'm going to make a choice now to be reunited with my family. That's the choice that I'm going to make. I'm going to cho choose to be in these programs to find out exactly yep. what it is that brought Sylvester to the prison and try to repair that and heal from that. Because when I come home, I want to be a different person. I want to do things differently. I want to give back and restore my, my family. And I want to rebuild my communities and make yeah. them safe and, and let every young person know that they are precious, that they are valuable, that they are worthy, that they are smart, that they are courageous. Mm -hmm. They don't have to pick up a gun. They don't have to write their name on the, on the wall or promote a gang or be embarrassed to say their name or to say that they're, that they're sensitive, that they're afraid, that they need help, that they can't read. No, we all have gifts. I found out my gifts. I found out that I am sensitive and that's a strength. Mm -hmm. I found out that I'm friendly, that I'm encouraging, that I'm kind, that I'm generous. That, that I'm yeah. assertive, those are strengths. But I was just applying them in the wrong direction. Yep. And I just learned to redirect them mm -hmm. to something positive, something noble, something uh, uh, worthy. So I'm in there, you know, I'm dissociating myself, uh, and it's hard. But I'm able to drop from a level 4 180 to a, a level 4 270 to a level 3. For the first time, I'm able to go out to the yard at night, and I look up, and I'm able to see the stars. I'm able to see the, the, the rain come down, see the, feel the breeze, things that I took for granted. Uh, I'm able to, to get canned foods. You know, I'm able to eat a little more decent. I have a little more freedom. Mm -hmm. I'm able to go out in the evenings. Those are luxuries that I took for granted for so many years, mm -hmm. and it felt good to have them. Um, but I'm starting to see my family, you know, my family's aging, uh, health conditions. Uh, they're struggling, but yet they're there. They're attentive, yeah. you know, going to visit me. Um, one of the things that the homies didn't tell me about when I was younger about prison is... Besides the riots, you know, the, 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 the trauma that you endure to experience that. But then you tell me about the loss that I was going to suffer when a family member died. Yeah. One of the f family members um, that I first lost that hurt me the most was losing my, my grandma, Mama Tela, mm -hmm. in 07. Receiving a phone call uh, from my counselor to report back to the building. Mm-hmm. And we, we know what that means. When the counselor calls you to the building, it's either because you're having an re, uh, annual review or there's been some bad news. And if it's not your annual review, most likely it's going to be the bad news. Mm -hmm. So I call home. My mom, my sister tells me that my grandma passed away. She was 94. Wow. My grandma endured trauma from her childhood, uh, losing uh, her parents, her, her little uh, brother, and then later my grandfather, and then later, her her son, her daughter, uh, and then of course, with you know, with our generation. And she would go visit me, and my grandma was very wise, very strong, and my grandma would always tell me, you know, hijo, she would tell me in Spanish. She would say, hijo, no dejes que tu coraje te domine, tú domina tu coraje. Don't allow your your anger to dominate you. You dominate your anger. And I never understood what those words meant until I sat down 
and I started to write her a letter. Because when you have life, they don't let, let you go out for a funeral, you know, mm-hmm. because you're a risk. So mm-hmm. I don't care how much money I would have had, I would never would have been allowed to visit, to go to a funeral. So I had to make, say my goodbyes through a letter. Yeah. Wow. I wrote her a letter for three days until the last day that I finished it. I heard her words tell me those, those things. And I started to cry. I cried. But after I cried, I felt a sense of peace. Mm-hmm. I felt like my grandma was with me. And I was able to let her know that I didn't understand then, but now I understand. Mm-hmm. She was trying to protect me all those years. She was trying to let me know, hey, get wake up because your anger is going to get you in trouble. And I looking back on it, my, that was the cause of it. I was a hot-tempered little kid like the Hulk. I would... I would get angry and I would blow up and want to just, you know, act out violently. Yeah. And she was telling me, calm down, relax, think about it. And I said, I'm going to do that, Grandma. I'm going to do that. So I knew that these groups were important to me, uh, attending them, learning uh, how, to, how to respond, not to react, how to really think about the consequences and think about what's being said and say, okay, what are we, what's going on here? Let's resolve this in a peaceful manner. Let's talk about it. I feel this way. How do you feel? We don't have to act out violently. Anybody could act out violently. That's yeah. not going to solve it. It's going to matter, make matters worse. So I started to learn those coping skills. I learned to communicate. I learned sometimes that even my tone, because if you guys noticed by now, I have a high, a high tone, but it becomes higher when, I, when I'm angry or I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And that could be a trigger for people. Yeah. It's a trigger for me. When my father, when I was younger, he would yell at me. To this day, when people yell at me, or when I hear people yelling, it, it, that little boy comes out like, it's, a, it's alert. Yeah. But I find myself that I'm that same person too. Mm-hmm. I, I have the tendency to do that. So I have to be cautious that it, I could be a trigger for other people. So I learned all these things. I learned about the signs too that your body tells you about anger. You know, your, your, my palms get sweaty. My heart begins to beat. You know, I feel like a surge of blood go from my head to my, I mean, from my toes to my head. Those are signs that my body tells me. So I, I learned that, okay, Silvestre, calm down. If that means counting to 10, if that means, you know what, give me a second, you walk off, I'll come back. If that means taking some deep breaths, exhaling, all coping skills that help me, okay, what am I going to do? Let's try to resolve this. Yeah. So all these groups were, were very helpful. Um, but it, it was still, it was difficult because I started to see that that I wasn't the only one that was incarcerated. My family was enduring everything that I was. Yep. They were suffering. Yep. They were aging. Every time that I was on lockdown, they were worrying, what's going to happen to him? Is he doing, is he going to be stabbed? Is he going to mm-hmm. be hurt? Is he going to go to the hole? Mm-hmm. Am I going to see him? What's going to happen to him? Is he eating? Is he ha- does he have enough clothes to wear? Day by oh, day. Day by day, bro. And just, it was just, it was horrible. I never um, uh, realized how much this really affects people that love you, people that care about you. Um, you know, um, they would go visit me, and we would have a good time. We would eat. But the hardest part would be leaving. You know, my mother would tell me, I wish I could just make you into a small person and put you in my purse and walk out with you. And she wasn't able to do that, you know. Uh, but we enjoyed that moment, and and they were proud to see that I was 
beginning to change my, my mentality, my values, my beliefs. Um, after, after going to high school, after getting my GED, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna go to high school. I'm gonna go for my high school diploma. I studied for that and I, I passed that as well. The proudest moment of my life was in 07 when my parents went to my, my graduation, graduation ceremony yeah. and were right there in front. That's you know? awesome, yeah. And I was the valedictorian. I was nominated for the valedictorian and I gave a talk, cried like a baby, but I, I honored my sister who was the one that really encouraged me and mm -hmm. believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Yeah. And I thanked my parents, but I saw how proud they were of me. They had never been proud of me before. I had, they had no reason to be proud of me. I was always getting into trouble. But they were proud of me, and that motivated me. And then my son, uh, he had just graduated from USC in 2000. No, uh, two years later, what was it? 2005, 2010, he graduated from USC. Wow, So that encouraged me. You know what? High school's not enough. If my son did it, I could go on to college too. Yeah, yeah. So I went on to my AA, and I, I thank God I earned that in 2015, right? Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And quick, quick, quick question: You kept in touch with your son throughout this whole thing? No, his mother would visit me during relationships, right? Families, they'll endure it, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. But sometimes, uh, you know, wives, girlfriends, even though they may love you, mm -hmm. it's just too painful. It's too difficult. There's so much involved when you're with someone that's incarcerated. You know, going to visit him, the the uh, um, the packages, the letters, it takes a lot of their time, their effort, where they have, maybe they have siblings, maybe they have kids, maybe they have other responsibilities. It just drains them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just too unbearable that relationships, they, they separate, they mm -hmm. break off. Yeah. And it was just too hard for my son's mother. It was too hard for her, so we just, we separated. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was able through my sister, through my sister-in-law, uh, she would keep me informed on on his so development. Get those updates. Mm -hmm. would, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to learn about him. Um, what did you think when you found out your son went to USC? Man, I was like, "Wow, USC you is know? a large yeah. school. Like that's yes. very successful. That's yes, great." Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm very proud of him. You know what? But I wouldn't have been able to give him that opportunity. You know, uh, at 16, active, uh, still very immature, responsible. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have had that. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the man that raised him, um, that was there. He's the real dad. He deserves that title. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't. So I'm just That's grateful. mature. To be able to say that, that's so mature. Yeah. I'm not, myself, I'm not a father, but, like, even as, as, like, seeing other fathers, it's so hard to be able to say something like that yeah. because you wanted to be there. But I... Honestly, thank you for, for saying that like that yeah. because that just brought like a lot of thoughts to my head yeah. and the maturity that you have, yeah. especially as a father yourself. You're a great father because you accepted that. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So, so at what stage during your – so you did 26 years total. Um, at what point did it become like a reality that you might be coming home? Okay. So um, I'm in Chukawala, 2000. I had just dropped down. That's the, level two, what's I it think, called? right? Chukawala. They call Chuck it Chucky's house. Um, Interesting. I, I got there in 2012 because the point system changed. Okay. They, they, they decided that close custodies now were going to be allowed to go to level threes, mm -hmm. right? I'm sorry, to level twos. Level, level twos. Level twos secure level that, twos, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I get there, right? I had to leave my cell, the comfort of my cell where I had, you know, my hot pot, 
my TV, my radio, clothes, food. Now I have to go into a dorm living, mm. right? Where I share now a bunk with another person, mm-hmm. but it's an open dorm. You know, I don't have all the luxuries. Uh, but you know what? I understood that for me to go into f- to society once again, I have to start to learning to adapt, to be around more people. Yeah. So uh, I went there 2012, and I remember that year, one of my friends at church, because I'm still going to church, comes up and tells me, hey, there's a Senate bill that is in the process of mm. getting, going through the channels right now. It's Senate Bill 260, which states if you committed a crime under the age of 18, you will be eligible for for parole or to go to the front of the board after serving 25 years. That was like, wow, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you, God. This is mm-hmm. what, you know, this was the, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I didn't know where, but this was it. This yeah. was my, my ticket or my opportunity. So... Sure enough, man, I was on that bill. I was, you know, inquiring about it. I was seeing it go through the stages. And sure enough, it passed. And I was wow. letting my family know it had passed. It, came, it took effect 2013. At that time, um, I was uh, maybe, I had 21 years in. So I knew that I was already, uh, another four, three years, I was going to have my first opportunity. Mm-hmm. So... The good thing is that I was already attending self-help groups. Yeah. I was already in education. I was already working. I wasn't. I was working as a clerk in education as a tutor. Okay. Yeah. Because now I knew that there was other men that they didn't know how to read. Mm. They had also insecurities. They had mm. a little self-esteem. They had been told that as a kid that maybe that they were stupid or they believed that they were. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell them, no, man, come on, look it. You can read. You can learn. You can achieve. Mm-hmm. You can earn this diploma you can make your proud your family proud your children they could follow you you can motivate them Mm -hmm. so that was also my way of giving back and um so it passed right so now it just motivates me even more now i'm attending more groups and the dates approaching 2013 2014 2015 2016 finally by this time i'm in another prison right uh uh, cmc san Obispo. Talk about, this was like a park. The, the, the trees, the bushes, the grass, there were barracks. There weren't even dorms. There were barracks, like if you're in the military. Uh, but still, you know, you, you have to tolerate a lot. You yeah. know, you're yeah. open dorm. Especially open dorm. You know, you, people, you know, still, you know, maybe, you know, doing, you know, uh, certain things that maybe yeah, you don't participate in. Yeah. You know, they're using the phone, they're drinking, they're smoking. So you have always be cautious about, you know, making sure that you're not involved in that. Um, but it was beautiful. I loved it. Again, my family's still going to visit me. But here it comes, my first opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And I go in there. Uh, I prepare my relapse prevention plan. I got my parole plans. I got support letters for work. I got support letters for home. I got a, a, a traditional house that I'm going to go to. I have uh, uh, character references. Uh, I'm prepared, right? Yeah. And I know that my crime was severe. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Mm-hmm. I own it. I'm responsible. I'm guilty. And I'm, I'm going to admit that. So I go in there. I go through the whole process. In the parole board, there's two uh, um, board uh, uh, commissioners. There's a uh, um, c- um, correctional officer, 
two in there, there's your attorney, there's the DA, and there are also the victims if they choose to be there. Oh, they really? Could be present. Deep. I didn't yes, know that they could one. be present yeah. if they choose to. Um, so I get there. My victim's family are not there. No one's there. I go in there. Uh, we go through the process. It took about maybe, oh, man, about maybe three and a half hours. And I went in there expecting to be denied, but just ready to just take responsibility for everything mm -hmm. and be completely honest and transparent. Mm -hmm. Because my whole life I have deceived, I have betrayed, I have manipulated, I have controlled, uh, I have misled. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just come clean for the first time. And I did, I felt good. Uh, I, I, I got everything out, I admitted everything. Uh, I showed them my, my, my growth. Um, they found me still not suitable. Wow. And I understood, I understood why. And they gave me some, they gave me the reasons, you know, which was that they still felt that I was still manipulative, that I still needed some time to really touch on that area. So, when they said these things, were you like, I agree? Or were you more so like, how? No, like no, no. I, I understood uh, because I still, I was manipulative before going to prison, but in prison I also was manipulated the system in there as well, mm -hmm. right, as a, my criminal mentality. Yeah. So I saw that and I recognized it. And I'm the one that actually admitted it to them. If I hadn't admitted it, they would never know what I've done in there. Mm -hmm. But I admitted it to them because... I felt guilty. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live with that. I wanted to just put everything out. I wanted to, to relieve myself of that. Mm -hmm. So when they said it, I agreed. And I went back, you know, and I said, okay, I'm going to work on it. I'm not going to give up. It's going to motivate me more. Right. But for my family, it was hard because they were expecting me to come home. There was a lot of hope. Especially my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother fell into a deep depression. I went back, and I, as much as I try to motivate her, tell her, Mom, it's going to be okay. I'm going to go back in about two years. Don't worry. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to come home. They, they gave you that two-year denial? They, they, they don't give you good, a three-year right? denial. The most the smallest what, time? It's a three-year denial, oh, okay, but you know years. what? Three years really means 18 months, right? Oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Three years is really 18 months. Mm. Uh, so they give you the lowest is three, but the most is 15. So I was just grateful to get three years denial. Yeah, I knew yeah, that I was going to come back in three months, in eighteen months, right? Uh, so I explained that to them, but my mom really took it, you know, the worst, because uh, she was really expecting me to come home. So she fell into a depression, uh, and my sister Yolanda, um, the night that um, I was denied, she she wrote a letter. Actually, she wrote a poem that I want to read to you guys. Yeah, right. Sure. So this was. Um, so this is right prior to your first denial and this is your yes. sister reaching out to you she didn't reach out this was just her way of coping with, mm. with, the, with the hurt and pain mm. of me being denied okay so the title is Oday to Sell My Brother I watched him grow and feared his fate the roads he took the friends he made the streets he walked and thought he conquered, the heart he broke, which laid asunder. The lives he took, the widows made, the tears and pain left in his wake. Now in his cell for years to come, my, mother, my brother wonders what he has done. 
that it's too late to make up time. No turning back but face his crimes. As the years go by, in his cell he remains. The angry young man no longer exists. Full of remorse, understanding, and pain, instead a wise man has taken his place. His spirit has healed, all covered in grace. The passage of time has marked my brother, myself, my siblings, and my mother. Despite it all, we have became stranger, bond to each other, afraid no longer, and never lost hope that the cell doors were open. Out will come my brother, free and no longer broken. Wow. That's amazing. When I read that, man, you know, it's just, I, I realized all the hurt, all the pain, all the disappointment that they were enduring, that she was enduring, but she chose a healthy way to express that pain by writing about it. And this is the, the best way to do it because I've realized that we all endure trauma. We mm -hmm. all endure uh, fear, pain, hurt, betrayal, neglect, abandonment. And sometimes we want to just express that through violence. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't, that doesn't solve anything. That doesn't bring comfort and healing. We have to do it in a healthy way in order to really heal. And my sister, this was her way of healing. I'm sure it was hard for her to write. But reading this, all it did was just motivate me more. Mm -hmm. You know what? Now I got to come home. So I got more into my groups, mm -hmm. more into church. Um, and then I was able to drop from a level two to a level one. Yeah. Um, 2018, I got a visit from, from my parents, my brother, and my sister uh, in CMC. It was the last visit because I was getting ready to go to Soledad. And I went there and got into the groups again, continued. So I went from, from being a participating groups. Now I want to facilitate them. You're the one mm. that, right? Now I'm, I'm helping people. I'm, I'm letting them know, um, you know what it is, the experiences. And I'm hearing other men share their stories. And I'm able to hear like, wow, I'm not the only one that suffered these traumas. Mm -hmm. They suffer too, you know? But the, 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 the thing is that we never talked about it. We, you know, because we were told that, you know, you're a man, you just endure it, yeah. you take it, don't cry, don't shed no tears. Yeah. You just, somebody hits you, you hit them back. Nah, man, that isn't, that isn't the way you solve things. There has to be communication. There has to be love. There has to be a uh, 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 resolution. So I'm understanding that all these men, they're good people too, and they've come to a realization when they've had an awakening and they were able to understand um, what it is that they've done, and now they want to get out. So many good people that I've met, guys that I actually tried to kill in the street and have tried to kill me, I've actually been in cells with them. Wow. I got to meet them. Mm -hmm. I got to meet their families. They got to meet my families. These were cool guys that I really got close with. Mm -hmm. They became human beings to me. Mm -hmm. They were no longer my enemies. They were no longer 
uh, 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 a target. There were people just like me. They mm -hmm. had mothers, grandmothers, children, siblings. And I got real close to them and I realized, why didn't I ever have this opportunity while I was in the street? Mm -hmm. Because we were told, we were programmed that just because someone lives from another city or from another neighborhood, you're supposed to kill them, they're your enemies. They're not my enemies. They're just like me. Mm -hmm. They're just her too. They've been through trauma. They've been abandoned. They've been hurt. They've been neglected. And they want healing. And now it took us to go to prison to sit down in the group and start talking about our traumas and cry and admit and ask for forgiveness um, and really come to understanding that, you know what, what we've done, we caused a lot of havoc. We caused a lot of destruction, a lot of terror. It wasn't until I attended a group called Amity as a peer mentor that I got a chance to write a letter to Jose. And I remember um, we were given this task. Mm -hmm. The task was to write a letter to the person that's hurt you the most and then write a letter to the person that you hurt, you the, hurt most. the most. So the person that hurt me the most was my father. So I wrote him a letter, you know, telling him that I forgave him. But the curse the person that I hurt the most was Jose. So I wrote him, I wrote him a letter. We came back. This We were given this assignment on a Friday. Mm -hmm. We came back Sunday, and we gathered in a circle, and each person wrote his read his letter out loud. Wow. I was the last one. And I, I started to read this letter. I didn't bring it with me. But I started to read this letter. And I started to cry. Because for the first time, as I'm reading, I'm visualizing what I'm reading, and I'm hearing what I'm reading, and it's real, and I see what I had done to this young man. And I just, I never felt that before. I never took the time to really think how I, the hurt and pain that I caused him, what I did to his family, I scarred them for the rest of their life. <sighs> But it was the beginning of me feeling remorse, feeling compassion, uh, asking for forgiveness, then also forgiving. Um, and the hardest person actually to forgive was myself because a part of me still felt responsible for my brother's death. And I didn't know how to live with that. And I remember my sister would always tell me, Sil, it wasn't your fault. You were young. They made their choices too. Mm -hmm. You can't own that. You can't carry that with you. And it took me years, but I finally was able to accept that, yes, okay, I'm not responsible for that. But uh, fast forward again, um, back to, um, I go now to Soledad. I'm on level one, and here I am facilitating groups. CGA was one of my favorites because CGA was a different from, from AA and NA. Mm. A lot of us that are in the lifestyle or that were in the lifestyle our addictions weren't alcohol and, and drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, we may have experimented them. They may have, you know, used them. But our addictions were, were the excitement and thrill of gangbanging, yeah. of, of writing on the walls, of receiving the praise from the homies, of being mm -hmm. around the girls. Uh, that was a high. That was an addiction. Uh, breaking, you know, doing crime, getting away with it. Mm -hmm. That, that was thrilling for us, mm -hmm. for me. And CGA, that's what it focuses on. So I would, um, you know, we would have our groups. And then 
I got my opportunity once again, you know, to go to go the to board. board. Right. I'm excited. I'm ready. Uh, I worked on the area they told me to. I wrote a paper on it. I'm aware what, of what, it. What was that area real quick? About how I still was manipulative, how I manipulated. Okay, got uh, you. Because I manipulated my, my victims into believing that I came in, in peace, and now I had gone to prison and manipulated the system as well. Mm -hmm. So they still saw the connection, right? And for the in order for the board to find you innocent, they have to come to a decision that you are no longer a threat. Real quick, not innocent, right? I'm sorry, um, not innocent. I'm sorry. Perfect. No, Thank no, no. You. Yeah, sorry. I was just like... Uh, to find you suitable. Or, to find you suitable, mm -hmm. they have to uh, believe that you are no longer a risk. Mm -hmm. You are no longer uh, um, that same person. Mm -hmm. You're no longer a danger to society, right. which I understand, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want somebody that's still violent or has violent tendencies to move next door to my family. Yeah. And I'm sure you, none, no, you guys wouldn't, yeah, nobody maybe. here would, right? <laughs> right. So, so they're doing us a favor, and I get it. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not that same person. Mm -hmm. So um, th uh, that's their job. So I appear, I go there, I'm ready. Uh, I, they they give me a state appointed. I have my letters. I, I'm prepared. What I'm not prepared about is that I walk in there and... My victim's family is not there, but his brother is on the phone. Mm. What do you and mean on the on the phone? They so have... so they have the option to be present oh, or to okay. be through audio. Mm -hmm. And was right? this the brother that was next to him at yeah, the park? Yeah, I still shot. Yes. Gotcha. And this, and this was a first time in 20-something years that you, that finally yes. happened. You yes. guys finally had yes. this interaction. Yes, right. So we introduce ourselves. He's the last one. He states... And he basically says, you know, that he shares who Jose was. Jose was an, a good kid, well-liked in school. He liked crafts. He would bring drawings home to his mom. He was very obedient. And I took Jose from them. And um, I'm sitting there listening to him. And all these things I had imagined, right? I know human beings have lives. Human beings, you know... They have certain personalities, characteristics, mm -hmm. traits. But to hear it from his own brother, it made him more real. It made him more human. And I'm crying. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I need to hear it. I need Definitely. to hear the impact that I caused this man and his family. And he says that that his mother uh, was also fell into deep depression. That to this, day, to this day, they're grieving his loss. That he got into heavily into drugs and alcohol. Uh, that it also impacted his family in a great deal. Um, so I'm like, oh, man, I'm listening to it. So he stops. So we go on with the proceedings, right? We go on, you know, um, I'm more emotional now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, man. So I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking. The hearing takes about maybe a, an hour and a half. We finish, you know, closing statements. How do I feel? Um, you know, my attorney speaks, the DA speaks, um, and he goes back to Miguel. And now he says, you know what? After hearing uh, Silvestre speak, um, I could see that he's been changed. Uh, and I forgive him. Oh, man. That's all I wanted. No. And I just, it hurt me more, though, because I... Part of me feels like I shouldn't be forgiven. Mm -hmm. But this man forgave. And he feels that I should be found suitable. 
So we walked out. They concluded their decision, came back. They found me suitable. But I wasn't happy. Has I wasn't to be a joyful. bittersweet moment, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I left back. I went back to the yard. And the yard, the way lifers know if you've been found suitable, if you come back smiling. Mm-hmm. If you've been mm. found, if you were denied, you come back just sad. I came back sad. Mm. So nobody wanted to approach me. So I went to the phone. I called my mom. I let them know. They had already known, you know, my, my attorney called them. And then somebody finally, I think they overheard me saying, you know, I got found suitable. And they're like, hey, and they go, they told me, how come you're not happy? I told them. And Jose's brother was on the phone and he shared about Jose and the impact, how he felt and how it devastated them, how they're still suffering. How can I be happy? I told them. And they understood. And I remember going back to CGA that, that next meeting and sharing that with them because many to know that Yes, though we have made some changes in our lives, mm-hmm. we still planted a scar forever Man. in our victims' families and in their lives and in their children that never even knew, knew him. Jose's uh, nephews and nieces will never have a chance to meet their uncle. He will never have a chance to have his own children. He will never have a chance to have a career. He will never have a chance to graduate and to give his parents that, that joy, that pride. He will never have a chance to marry and have a wife and children and make something of his life. Because I was hurt and I wanted to seek vengeance. That isn't fair. Yeah. You, you, you essentially did the exact same thing that happened to <sighs> exactly. you to someone else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I destroyed another family the way my family was destroyed. Yeah. And now I have that in my conscience too. And that was, I didn't really feel I didn't feel closure. After seeking revenge, I didn't feel comfort. I didn't mm-hmm. feel peace. That's it's it's still I, I created more trauma, more wounds, more destruction. I I inf- I influenced other people to seek viol- uh, violence and revenge, and I planted that seed of hatred in, mm-hmm. in in other young minds and hearts. So um, I realized that today. Um, and I remember um, getting out, right, waiting, because you have to wait. The final say-so is the governor. And that's the most stress- stressful part of coming home, you know, waiting for that, uh, those last 90 days, because he has the option to say to no. Deny, you know, no. Yeah. yeah. So I'm waiting, and finally he, you know, he didn't deny. I get released a week later. My family picks me up. We drive back home. We're driving. We stop at a Mexican restaurant. My parents, my sister, my brother, two nieces picked me up. And I remember we stopped at a restaurant. And as happy as I am, as excited as I am to be free, I'm not used to being around so much people. Yeah. I'm not used to, to doing things that I want. I'm always told what to do, how right. to do it. So I'm sitting there ordering, and I need to go to the restroom. And I know where the restroom's at, but I can't go over there. I, I feel like, wait a minute. No one's going to no watch gonna, me. Yeah. Tell me anything that yeah. But I finally got in there. Uh, I ate dinner. We had a great time. We stopped by. We went to the beach. Took off my wow. shoes. I walked to the sand. I felt the, the sand in my feet. I felt the breeze. I heard the wind. I saw the waves. I felt just the, the, the coldness. Oh, it was beautiful. I felt finally like I was planted on earth once again, you know? 
and my brother and my sister experienced that with me. And we walked back. Um, I spent the night at my parents' house that day. Real and the quick, next day, sorry to cut you off. How old are you when you're doing? Okay, when so I went in to prison at 23, mm-hmm. and I was released a few months prior to my 50th birthday. Wow. So most of my adulthood, I, adult life, I've been right. incarcerated. And so then even some years prior to that, you were in Tijuana. Yes, yeah, so I was, run, yeah, so still. yes. Just, yes. I, and I asked because the way you even talked about it, you just sound like a kid that just it was just brought into the world, like a, yeah. a, a, a yeah. kid that was just yeah. brought into the world, basically. yeah, and yeah. is experiencing everything for the first yeah. time. I felt it, you know, for the first time, uh, a second opportunity, and you know what? Honestly, it's only through the grace of God that I'm free, mm-hmm. because by law, Absolutely. by law, I should still be in prison, right. by law. Yeah. Um, and that's why I committed myself to making amends and helping my community, my families, the youth, to think about their actions, to to know how gifted and how precious they are, so they don't ever have to grow up thinking that they have to use violence to gain acceptance or or respect from other people, um, to go into uh, schools and to get their education. Um, and to have a voice in society, you know, my sister would always tell me, she was saying, so if you want to make a difference, you have to do it from within. And I never understood what that meant from within. What, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. She meant educate yourself, right. put yourself in situations yeah. where you're part of the chair, you know, you're a committee, you have a voice and you're able to say, look it, we need these programs. We need these in our communities for our children. We need resources. We need activities. We need schools. We need uh, outreach. We need uh, food. We need mentors to come in and help. That's what she meant. I took it all wrong. I, I took, I was making things worse for our community because by being violent, by breaking the law, now I'm, I'm making other people afraid of Mexicanos, of Cholos. Uh, I went about it all wrong. I contributed to making laws more severe. I contributed to other people following my footsteps. There was a young man that when I was in locked up, um, he got in there. He was, uh, he ended up joining the former gang that I belonged to. Mm -hmm. And now he had life. And I felt so responsible and guilty because he grew up hearing about me and wanting to follow my footsteps and look at now he was. And now, but I was able to tell him, bro, I'm sorry. But everything that that I did, this is really the reason. This is the, these are the consequences, and this is why I the did reality. it. And you yeah. don't have to live this. So don't don't go go come in here and want to get involved and want to continue and build a name for yourself. It's not worth it. Focus on you and your bomb. Try to do something and get out. There's hope, even though it may not seem like it right now. There's an opportunity for you to go home. And yes, laws were coming out. After the 260, which was 18 and under, 261 came out, which which 25 and under. Mm. So it brought in it because they realized that a, a, a human brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. Mm-hmm. You know, so so yes, um, definitely responsible for making choices, but by law, you're not considered an adult. So that's why they they uh, they brought this law into this bill mm-hmm. into action, and. That was my opportunity to come home. Mm-hmm. And coming home was difficult because I had to go to a traditional home uh, a day after I was released. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I was able to get my social security, my birth certificate, uh, an ID. I started to practice for my driver's license, which I, I maybe about, maybe about a three weeks, four weeks later, I received, I got a job as a, being a, a school mentor, uh, yeah, school mentor for the youth. That is my passion. I know that's my gift. I'm not an office worker. I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be working in, in, in the, in the uh, agriculture. I am a social person. Mm -hmm. I need to be around people. I need to connect. I need to listen to them. I need to motivate them. I need to, to love them, to guide them, to validate them. And, and we have to do it in a, in a way that's, that's a, a, a healthy and, um, and uh, very um, uh, rewarding, you know. And this is, where I, this is what I find rewarding, being with them. So I knew that I was in the right field. Um, after six months, I went back home, and that was difficult. Uh, that was difficult because I've been away for they're 26 and a half years. Yeah, as much as they love me, yeah. we have different learning, living styles, mm -hmm. you know? So we had to learn to adapt. And, and, and also, there's still a lot of trauma, a lot of open wounds in my family. Yeah. Even though they've gone to visit me, there's still wounds that are still open, so we still need to talk and resolve them. Uh, we're still, at this to this day, we're still dealing with a lot of trauma that we're trying to heal from. Uh, and it's difficult, but there's still a lot of temptations out there for me. Um, triggers, you know, uh, like I said, yelling, uh, being controlling. Sometimes I don't realize it, but I can't be controlling. I want things done my way. And people have to kind of sometimes remind me, hey, so, you know, you think you're, and then I, okay, yeah, yeah. I have to be aware of that. Um, you know, there's still part of me that that little kid still mm -hmm. is afraid of certain things. Is a relationships. I have a hard time with relationships, you know, um, I still, I'm used to being by myself. I'm used to, to doing what I want when I want. Mm -hmm. That I, I'm afraid to let people in my heart. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of being betrayed. Uh, so I guard myself. That's what our youth do. They, they guard themselves too. So I understand that. But that's what trauma does. So I'm still seeking counseling. I have a support network of friends, my yeah. brother, nice. you know, at work. Uh, at church, I talk to people because I know that I'm in recovery. I'm never going to be completely healed, but I and, and I think face. there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, you know that's the ongoing process. You can never be a better, you know. It's it's an ongoing thing. It's never, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to always try to strive to be a better you. Yeah, Why yeah, not? yeah. And but what I do today, I work for a reentry. You know, okay. I'm able so to help So you've been out people. how long now? I'm being out. This may will be four years, and it seems like only months. Yeah. That's wild. It's only four been, years. yes. Uh, you know, I've been, I celebrated my 50th birthday, best birthday. You know, Five family oh, was huh? over, uh, sober. There was no uh, alcohol, no drugs. Everybody had a good time. It was great. You know, I got to speak. I got to share. Yeah, Thank everybody. Might, I don't think this guy would like that type of party. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, don't touch me on my... Nah, man. I would love that uh, kind of party with yeah. you. Go but ahead. It was, uh, you know, it, it's just different from what our families used to, right? Because our family, you know, that's what we Bana, had. Alcohol. Yeah. But now things are different. We, we, we're maturing. We're learning that, mm -hmm. that it was just because uh, there was still... We thought we had to numb our, yeah. our feelings. But now we, we're showing that we could have a good time in a sober, healthy mm -hmm. manner. Um, uh, I'm able, I was able to finally also uh, discharge from parole uh, seven months ago. Congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, my goal, my goal is to work at a high school or junior high 
as a, as a, a restorative practice intervention specialist, which basically means just an advocate for the students. Mm -hmm. And I would like to do that at a continuation school because that's where I went through. That's considered like they think the kids are, that's it, they will never yeah. uh, amount to From anything. the outside looking in, I think those that's kind of like the second step or their last step before yes. they really dive yes. deep into the street. So that's exactly. a good observation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's where I want to go. Unfortunately, I'm not able to right now because of my record, because mm, of my past. Correct. You know? Uh, so, an, again, another uh, consequence of my past actions that I didn't even foresee and mm. even consider. But sometimes... You know, we have to consider those because they could have a, a long-term consequence on our lives. Uh, but I'm not going to give up. I'm in a place, like I said, where we're able to help people that are impacted, have been impacted by gangs, drugs, uh, incarceration, and violence. So I'm in my community. I'm with people, with families, mothers, grandmothers, uh, youth, sisters, brothers that that want different for their families and I'm able to be a part of that and yeah. to see their growth awesome. and to see these young men say hey yeah. you know what man you know uh thank you for sharing mm -hmm. you know I I too was was you know abandoned or or teased as a kid or I couldn't read and and I was made fun of and it hurt me mm -hmm. man that's beautiful mm -hmm. now we're getting to the root of it no, say that's why you're there you're like I want to help yes. you discover yeah. those things. yes yes and I encourage them to start talking about it and I remind them, if there's one thing I, I got to emphasize is that every single human being, especially our youth out there, you are precious. You are beautiful. You are smart. You're courageous. You're capable. You're resilient. And you're worthy. And you have to really believe it. And all we are is putting up that mirror so you can see the reflection of yourself. Once you believe it, no matter what people say, no matter what people would do, it won't change Though it may hurt, it may sting, but you have to remind yourself who you truly are. And once you do that, you start seeing the world differently. You start treating people differently. You start having a different perspective on people. And you start uh, uh, noticing that, you know what? When someone's mean to me and when someone yells at me, when someone uh, insults me, I wonder oh, what happened to them. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what they experienced. Yeah. Did they... Did they uh, receive uh, ridicule? Were they verbally or physically abused? Were they abandoned? Were they yelled at? And most of the cases, there's, there is some trauma in their lives. That's why they behave that way. Mm -hmm. So you're able to have more empathy now and understanding into mm -hmm. people. And that is what I want everyone to recognize, to, you know, to see that, to not be upset, but to care for that person, to have some compassion and get to know them and be right. kind. Maybe that's all that person wants. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not used to it. So those are things that, that to this day I'm able to do. Uh, I also went back to school. Uh, for, I'm going for my BA. Nice. Uh, nice. Hopefully I transfer uh, pretty soon. I'm taking statistics right now. I left hey, the, the hardest work. He's on the numbers game. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's, it's challenging. I love yeah. it. I'm taking one in person, one online. Mm -hmm. um, and I love it. You know, it, it really has built my self-esteem. I'm more secure, more confident. Um, and I do, and definitely encourage people that education is also something that, that they should all proceed because yeah. that is really what's going to make us uh, uh, powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a physical strength. It's an emotional yes, and a mental part. strength. You know, and that's where we really have our voices. Yeah. Cool, man. That's... 
Couldn't have said any better. Yeah. I think that with that being said, um, I think that was a great podcast. We appreciate you for shooting through, Mm -hmm. sharing your testimony. Um, I think it was one of the most powerful ones we've shared. You know what I mean? And it, uh, it really resonated, you know? So, so, and if there's anything you want to shout out or anything that you want to promote or anything, go, you know, feel free. Feel free. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you all for this opportunity. Um, it is about recognizing and accepting self. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Mm. Pablo Picasso, each one of us possesses gifts. Though you may not know them now, but it's your responsibility to discover them. Mm-hmm. And with the help of many mentors and counselors and family members, you can do so. But once you find those gifts, you just can't hold on to them. It's our responsibility to give them wow. The same way that it was given to you, you must also give it out. And once you do it, you will see how rewarding that is, how much of a role model you can be, of a positive role model and influence to people's lives. Because right now, you have young people, your little brothers and sisters, you may not realize it. They're already looking up at you. Man, yep. They're looking at everything that you do, everything you say, and they want to follow you. Are you going to mislead them in the right direction? Or are you going to lead them? I'm sorry, are you going to lead them in the, in the right direction? Or are you going to mislead them in the wrong direction? It's up to you to make that choice. Thank you very much for uh, listening. Um, I know that each one of you possesses so much gifts. Qualities, and you have that choice to to live them out, and to make your own choices to stand by yourself, and do what is right for you and for your family. Thank you very much. Thank I love you, it. Sylvester. That Thank being you. said, Reentry Network Podcast. Let's get it, baby. We out.